I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Good evening. I'm Stuart Brand from the Long Now Foundation. How's our sound? Is that okay? Yeah. How many people here uh, use Wikipedia routinely? <laughs> I, I love that you know, breath of air that comes up when you wave around like that. I'm um, curious how many here have not been to one of these seminars about long-term thinking before, have not been? Oh, yeah, a big ooh from the audience. That's a measure of the viral nature of the Internet, because the only way word gets out in these things is by email. So you either got email from me or somebody forwarded it to you, and that's pretty interesting. Um, I'll say a few things. Most of you got cards, and besides saving the introduction by having it in print in front of you, on the back is the place where you can write questions at any point during the talk or during the Q&A. And um, it's nice if you put your name on there because I'll probably call out your name when I read the questions that make it up here, and then you can wave your hand and Jimmy knows who he's talking to. Um, and if you are not on the, on the list of announcements and would like to be, put your email address on there, and we'll make sure that uh, you get some very high-level spam from us from time to time. Uh, part of what the list gets you is I write summaries of the talks the next day every time. Yeah. And uh, those go out and have lives of their own, and you, you can uh, participate. Um, just to mention that the next talk is May 12th, and that'll be Chris Anderson from Wired and Will Hurst from everywhere uh, talking about the long time tale. Uh, this is a new economic theory that <laughs> how nice for an economic student like uh, Chris Anderson to invent. And he has been noticing, and Will Hurst has been noticing, that there's a time element to the long tail, to the vast quantities of small niche stuff that is now have a market thanks to the Annette. And that's what that talk will be about, and so both of them having at it. Wikipedia is some kind of revolution in progress, and uh, it's already... <laughs> yank the rug out from a lot of theories of human behavior and, you know, that you know, people only do things in their own very uh, uh, personal interest. And some kind of phenomenon is going on, some kind of thing that people apparently want to do with knowledge uh, that we didn't find out until it was set in motion. And so please welcome the man who set it in motion, Jimmy Wales. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So uh, just a few months ago, I ran into Stuart, and he asked me to come and give a talk about vision. And I thought to myself, well, that's getting to be typical these days, uh, even though I, I remember three years ago, I was just this guy in my pajamas at home typing on the Internet. Uh, and so now I'm, I'm asked to all kinds of big picture visionary questions, but the truth is I'm really more of a carpenter than an architect. Um, I do my practical work and uh, it seems to work okay. Um, 
But I do have some thoughts about, about vision and, and the role uh, that vision plays in uh, Wikipedia. In 1962, Charles Van Doren, who was later a senior editor at Britannica, said, the ideal encyclopedia should be radical. It should stop being safe. But if you know the history of uh, Britannica since 1962, it's been anything but radical. It's still a very safe and stodgy old institution. Wikipedia, on the other hand, begins with a very radical idea. And that's for all of us to imagine a world in which every single person is given free access to the sum of all human knowledge. And that's what we're doing. Aliu Mamadou Yalo knows something. Kira Wales, my daughter, wants to learn. Aliu, though, lives in Mali. And Kira lives in Florida. So we have a problem. But Guaca, who's a Wikipedia volunteer is here to help. So the point of this story here, uh, what Guaca does, he, he goes in Mali out to local people and he helps them write articles in Wikipedia. He speaks French with them. Uh, they speak French in Bambara. He types in to the Bambara Wikipedia. Uh, he translates into French and people translate the articles from French into English and thereby we're able to learn things about local politics and customs uh, in that area. The point of this is that when we talk about our work in the developing world, we don't think of what we're doing as uh, building an encyclopedia and, you know, here's something fancy that some nice rich people made for you. Um, instead, we think about empowering everyone on the planet to get involved, everybody to join that global conversation. So what is Wikipedia? Uh, Wikipedia is a freely licensed encyclopedia. It's written by thousands of volunteers in many languages. So the thing that's really, uh, to me, for an audience like this, everybody I'm sure has used Wikipedia. Is that correct? Yes? Yes? Um, when you've just seen Wikipedia and you see what it's like and you just use it as a reader, you may not understand uh, some of the philosophy behind it. And, and the freely licensed bit is one of the most important things. So what do I mean by free? I mean free is in speech, not free is in beer. This is an old saying from the free software movement. And we basically what it means is we give people four freedoms. They give... You get the freedom to copy our work, you can modify it, you can redistribute, and you can redistribute modified versions. And you can do all of these things commercially or non-commercially. So when we talk about Wikipedia being a free encyclopedia, what we're really talking about is not the price that it takes to access it, but rather the freedom that you have to take it and adapt it and use it however you like. And that's really, really core to our mission, uh, and it's really core to the vision of Wikipedia that inspires people uh, to work so hard on it. So how big is Wikipedia? Uh, it's now extremely big. Uh, we have uh, the English Wikipedia is the largest. It has nearly one billion words. Um, the, this is larger than Britannica and Encarta combined. Uh, it's actually that's a, that's an out of date comparison because it's several times larger than Britannica and Encarta combined. It's really, really quite a large body of work. And the German Wikipedia, which is the second largest, is equal in size to Brockhaus. So how big is Wikipedia globally? Uh, we've got over a million articles in English, but one of the things that's interesting is that uh, English is less than one-third of our total work. We're truly a global project in many, many, many languages. So we have 380,000 articles in German, over 200,000 in French, Polish, Japanese. There's five more languages that have at least 100,000 articles. Uh, one of the more interesting ones is Chinese. Uh, Chinese says we have 62,500 articles. Uh, up until last October, we were, not, uh, we were completely accessible in mainland China, and we've been blocked since... Uh, 
since that time. I was just in Taipei, Taiwan last week, and I met with a bunch of Wikipedians there. And it's really exciting to see them working on it. Of course, Taiwan is not blocked, so they're able to keep working. But one of the cool things that's going on is that the, uh, the, the Taiwanese Wikipedians uh, communicate with the mainlanders by Skype. Uh, and they, yeah, by Skype. So they're all on Skype together. Uh, and they're basically, they're communicating information to the mainland uh, Wikipedians about how to get around the blocks. And so about half, we've lost about half of our mainland editors, but about half are still coming in through various mysterious means, which are, is really cool to see this community coming together to do that. Um, you know, this has been a lot in the news lately with uh, uh, Google's new thing and uh, this, that, and the other. Um, one of the things that we say is that Wikipedia will never compromise with censors, period. So, what this means is we're, we're trying to get unblocked in China, but we have this very firm position that um, our work is already neutral. Uh, that's one of the core values of Wikipedia. 99.99% um, of Wikipedia is of no interest to the Chinese government. Uh, you know, articles about the moon or tigers or whatever. What they used to do is just filter certain pages. We wouldn't approve of that, but if they went back to doing that, that would be a lot better than what they're doing now. So we're trying to get unblocked, but we, we won't compromise. So we'll just see what happens. Um, we have uh, three and a half million articles across 200 languages. So as I said, English is only about a um, little less than one third of the total work. But saying 200 languages isn't really uh, all that accurate. I don't like to really brag and say we have 200 languages. What we do have, we have 38 language versions of Wikipedia that have at least 10,000 articles. And we have actually 85 now that have at least 1,000 articles. So 1,000 articles is not really an encyclopedia. That's just a beginnings. But I, I like to monitor that number because that's, once we have 1,000 articles, I know there's a community there. There's five or six people. They're getting started. They're starting to build. There's regulars there. And that's when it really starts to, really starts to move. So how popular is Wikipedia? Wikipedia has become a real Internet phenomenon in the last uh, couple of years in particular. We're now, according to Alexa, we're a top 20 website. And we now have a broader reach, uh, for example, than the New York Times. So that by reach, I mean the number of unique IP numbers that we see in a, in a given day. We see more people, or more people see us, I should say, than the New York Times. We see more people than the LA Times, uh, more than the Wall Street Journal, more than MSNBC.com. But the really cool thing is we see, oh, and the Chicago Tribune. Uh, the really cool thing is we see more unique visitors in a day than all of these sites uh, combined. So that's pretty good. So these days when uh, people from the mainstream media call me up, uh, I'm, now, I'm now one of the people on the short list of, if you're a journalist, these are the people you call when you want to know what the Internet thinks. <laughs> so they call me up and they say, what does the Internet think? And, and what does the Internet think of mainstream media? And I said, you mean Wikipedia? Because, you know. Who is the mainstream media anymore? We've got around 5 billion page views monthly. Uh, I say about that many. One of the interesting things about the way we're organized as an all-volunteer organization, um, except we have three employees. We have a lead software developer. I have an assistant in the office, and we have a, my assistant has an assistant. But we have um, – well, there's a lot of noise around me, believe me. Um, we have uh, all-volunteer uh, developers and so forth, and the kinds of metrics that most people in a dot-com, in a top-20 website would know, like how many page views we have, we don't really need to know that. We don't have advertising or whatever, so we're really bad about gathering these numbers. I'm the only one who actually cares, and I only actually care because I'm coming out and giving speeches. So from time to time, I beg them to please tell me how many page views, and somebody grudgingly goes and calculates it. So it's about $5 billion, but I don't actually know. 
This little picture just shows the growth of Wikipedia. Um, my favorite part, oh, they told me not to walk over there because I'll fall off the video, but my favorite part here is in, in early December, um, there was a bit of a scandal you may have heard about. There was a, 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 apparently a mistake in Wikipedia, believe it or not. And who knew? And the, the media went crazy, and uh, they called me on CNN to yell at me and so forth. And um, the net result, as you can see, is our traffic almost tripled. So, you know, what are you going to do? So what is the amazing technology behind Wikipedia? Um, and, and this is what I want to lead into is, is really one of the, the main themes I like to hit upon. The technology required for Wikipedia is essentially you need a database, you need a web server, you need a web browser, and you need the wiki editing concept. Now, the wiki concept was invented in 1995 by Ward Cunningham. Wikipedia didn't start until 2001. So all of the technology, um, including the idea of a wiki, which is a website anyone can edit, has existed since 1995. Why, you know, why, if it's a technological innovation, then, then why not have it earlier? And the answer is it isn't a technological innovation at all. It's a social innovation. Wikipedia... Uh, is a social innovation in the sense that what we figured out between 95 and, and 2001 was no new technology. We had the web and all that stuff, but basically the, the basic idea of um, how, to, how to organize a community, what are the social rules that you need, what are the social norms, values, practices that you need within a community, and a lot of that is that the, the design of Wikipedia is the design of the community. Uh, some of the core features that really make Wikipedia work are the free licensing, so everything is under free licenses are really empowering to all of the people working on the site. Uh, most websites, when you visit the website, you'll see that the, if you read the terms and conditions, they're really abusive. I mean, they basically say anything you enter on the website belongs to us. Sorry. Um, and people have put up with that for a long time, but it does discourage people from feeling really empowered to take control of a site and really care for it. Whereas under the free licensing, they realize that, hey, if the, if the organization running this, if the company running this uh, does a botched job, we can all leave. We can take our content and go. It really does belong to us. And also, you know, if you're going to spend hours and hours and hours contributing knowledge to the world, um, I think it's, it's really important to have that feeling that it will always be available. Um, lots of things come and go in the world, but as long as you've put it out there under free license that you've collaborated with other people, you know, it will always be there as a base for somebody to work forward on. So that's really important. There have traditionally been two views of how Wikipedia works. Uh, one view is that Wikipedia is an emergent phenomenon, pseudo-Darwinian. So you'll hear a lot of the phrases like the wisdom of crowds, swarm intelligence. Uh, those kind of phrases are very common, hive mind. But the other view is that, and this is my view, is that there's a community, a community of thoughtful users, and that's what really makes Wikipedia work. A former Britannica editor um, had a really nice uh, way of putting the emergent phenomenon view. Uh, he was writing a very negative and critical article about Wikipedia, and he, he said sarcastically, by some unspecified Darwinian process, we'll assure that those writings and editings by contributors of greatest expertise will survive. Articles will eventually reach a steady state that corresponds to the highest degree of accuracy. Does someone actually believe this? Evidently so. Well, when I first read this, I thought, you know, that's really interesting because within our community, you will only rarely or occasionally hear people talk this way. Normally within our community, um, we're actually talking about very old-fashioned types of things like references, uh, you know, good writing, uh, neutrality, how to rewrite things. Uh, we're talking about people's behavior in the community, all those kinds of things. We're not talking about some kind of magic process. The emergent model view 
would have us think that Wikipedia is thousands and thousands and thousands of individual users. They don't know each other. They each contribute a little bit, and somehow out of this emerges a coherent body of work. It's like we're all ants, right? The alternative view, the view of a community, um, is that we're a dedicated group of a few hundred volunteers. Uh, we know each other, and we all work together to guarantee the quality and the integrity of the content. You can see, obviously, what my view is, since I put pictures of a bunch of my friends up on the slides. Um, but when I first thought about this and heard this, I thought, you know, this is really interesting because there are implications for these two views, implications on how do you manage a project like this? How do you get something like this to work? If you really believe in the hive mind type of view, um, well, individual users aren't that important. They're like ants in a colony. You can step on a few of them and it really doesn't matter. Um, and the other thing is that, uh, th that you should have uh, some sort of uh, metrics. Uh, so programmers always love to have lots and lots of metrics, uh, like the eBay rating system. The eBay rating system works really, really well because most of the interactions on eBay are not necessarily community interactions. When I go to buy something on eBay, why do I care about that number? I care about the number because I don't know that person and I don't know anybody who knows them, right? And so I need some kind of a metric, and that works very, very well for a site like eBay. But in our case, uh, we don't have ratings of users. And the reason we don't have ratings of users is that the people who are working in together and editing articles, they come to know each other and they usually become friends. Um, even if they disagree very strongly, they do become friends or they at least get some grudging respect for each other. They duke it out for several months and they come to some compromise. Uh, the kinds of judgments that we use to make the work uh, be good have nothing to do with rating metrics and numbers. I mean, you can imagine, uh, suppose you, you went to work at a, at a company and every day you, you have sort of a badge and it has a number on it that tells how many people like you or not, right? It's not really where you want to work, I think, right? Um, instead, what do you want? You want people to judge you on a wide variety of characteristics, and that's what we do within Wikipedia. We have people who we say, you know, this guy does fantastic work in biology, but whatever you do, don't let him get near Israel, Palestine, he goes bonkers, right? <laughs> so how do you capture that in a number? You really can't capture that in a number. Um, it's, it's real human judgments about real human people. This person has, you know, they do good work, but they're a difficult personality, uh, all those kinds of things. So... What is the vision in the software? How, how do we look at the software and how do we think about making the software so that people can do this kind of good work? Um, how do we ensure quality? So how does, how does that actually work? Well, there's a lot of details to it, a lot of details to how the software works. And I'll just go into a couple of those. But before I do that, I want to talk about my overall philosophy of the design of social software. So imagine that you're going to design a restaurant, okay? Uh, and so just think about the problem of design for a restaurant. You want to design a restaurant and you think to yourself, well, in this restaurant, we're going to be serving steak. OK, and since we're going to be serving steak, we're going to have steak knives. And since we're going to have steak knives, people might stab each other. <laughs> so how do we solve this problem? Well, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to build cages right? <laughs> and keep everybody in a cage to make sure no one stabs each other. Right. Well, this makes for a bad society. We reject this kind of thinking in restaurant design. And yet, this is the predominant paradigm for social software design. What we do is we sit down and we think we're going to design a website. We think of all of the bad things people might do. And we make sure that we have controls and permissions, everything to prevent people from doing the bad things, right? Um, and this, does, this has two effects. One effect, the first effect is... When you prevent people from doing bad things, there's often very obvious and direct side effects that you prevent them from doing good things. If I look at a web page and I see a little spelling error, but I don't have permission to edit that page, I can't fix it, 
right? That's the first order effect that by, by having complex permission models, you make it really hard for people to just spontaneously do good. But the second effect has to do with how human interactions are organized. Um, how do people feel about each other? How do people feel about society? M many, many people report when they've been involved in some uh, online mailing list or, or things like this that, gee, it's so hostile. There's so many hostile communities on the Internet. One of the reasons is, is that this kind of philosophy of trying to make sure that no one can hurt each other is actually eliminates all the opportunities for trust. We had a situation uh, in Wikipedia where somebody proposed on the mailing list. They said, well, everybody has a user page in Wikipedia, and most people just use their user page to put a picture of themselves and, and some information about who they are. And it really isn't for other people to edit, so why don't we just lock all the user pages, right? Because they, they do are subject to vandalism and things like this. Well, a lot of us, the old-time Wikipedians, we went around and we put little statements on our user page, and mine is still there, as far as I know. I haven't looked lately. Uh, and it says, I trust you. You can edit this page, but please, if you do, make it better. Do something nice. Um, in fact, there was a, a picture of me that I hated. It's been on there for months. And last night, I went to dinner with some Wikipedians. They took a picture, a very nice picture, and now that's on my user page, right? And... Yes, he's sitting right out here. And so the, uh, that's the kind of thing that just happens spontaneously. And, and it couldn't happen if we didn't have that culture of trust to say, yeah, you know, knock yourself out, fix my user page. And if anybody does anything bad, we have the real-time peer review. So this is, this is into the nitty-gritty of how the software actually works. Um, you know, all the good intentions in the world and saying, oh, we love everybody and, and wiki love, uh, doesn't get you very far if you don't really have the software tools to make it really work. So how does it actually work? Well... Some of the core components are uh, that every edit on the website goes under the recent changes page, and this is watched by hundreds of people daily. So if anybody does anything bad on the site, it gets reverted very quickly. It gets reverted because we store every single version of every article that's ever existed. So if an article is deteriorated in any way and starts to go downhill, anybody can revert back to the good previous version. And they do that by keeping an eye on the recent changes. And nowadays, in the English Wikipedia in particular, but also in German and French and Japanese, the recent changes move so fast that it, it's really not practical to monitor directly. So within the community, people have built these cool software tools to actually monitor recent changes, for various kinds of uh, problematic entries and things like that. And then additionally, people can set up their own personal watch list. So when you're editing a Wikipedia article, most of the power users have it set up so that anything they touch automatically goes on their watch list. So you can, you can fix something in Wikipedia, and then you can keep an eye on it for several days. You can come back every day, and you can see if anything has changed, um, and you can actually see you know, how that works. Uh, and then... Another element of it is, is the real-time communication. So we use IRC, which is Internet Relay Chat. Uh, this is very old-school chat rooms, predates uh, Instant Messenger. Um, it looks like this. It's sort of ugly. Um, but there's, there's tons and tons of people. We have, um, I'm not even sure how many IRC channels we have. We have them in many, many languages. Um, in fact, the reason that the Chinese use Skype uh, instead of IRC is that IRC is blocked for mainland Chinese. So the entire Chinese, I always wondered why I could never find any Chinese people in IRC. And the reason is they're all on Skype instead. So this was just a screenshot from just the other day. And as you can see, just on a random morning, there were 238 people sitting in the English Wikipedia channel. So at any moment in time, when you're on the website and you do something, if you start misbehaving yourself, 238 people are going to hear about it pretty quickly. And they're going to come in and they're going to start watching you. Uh, normally, we have policies of we try not to bite people. So first, we leave you a nice message saying, you know, thank you for your fuck you comment. But we're trying to write an encyclopedia. Um, <laughs> After a little bit, though, you can get blocked. The admins can block IP numbers for misbehavior, and, and that does happen. 
then when you look at the page history, um, our software is a really nice, uh, compared to a lot of wikis, um, although a lot of them are getting nicer and nicer, of course, we have a really nice comparison between the old version and the new version. So if you think about how could I monitor a long article, I would have to read the whole article every single day. That isn't what you really have to do. You just come in and you look at the changes and you see, did this change improve the article or did it make it worse? And you can see that at a glance in most cases. And so if this is one of your articles that you keep an eye on, you would come in and you say, oh, yeah, this this edit's good. This one I don't like so much. I actually think I can do something else. And you can just continuously keep improving it. Another key feature, and this goes back to um, this goes back to the, the whole restaurant analogy, um, is that we have hardcore. We have organization by the community. Um, so one of the just to give an example of this, um, we have. Uh, the articles for deletion pages. So uh, the idea of the articles for deletion page is that um, occasionally articles, uh, new articles get created and they need to be deleted. So what, why would you ever delete anything? There's lots of disk space. The simplest example would be something like someone makes an article with the title of ASDF, ASDF, and the, uh, the text of the article is, Hi, Mom. Well, when that happens, uh, probably that's never going to become an encyclopedia article. You know, you can think about it for a minute and say, yeah, I don't really think that's ever going to be an encyclopedia article. In a case like that, that would be a speedy delete. Any admin could just come in and delete it. It would just uh, it would just go like that. But there are other cases where it's borderline, where you might say, I'm not sure if this is a hoax. Is this real? Is this not real? Uh, and the example here was a film called Twisted Issues, uh, an obscure underground punk film from 1988. The funny thing is, I, I gave a talk just two days ago at the University of Florida, and the next day somebody wrote me, and they said, do you know I played on the soundtrack for Twisted Issues? I said, wow, really? Go, go ahead at the article, please. So anyway, some of the first person says, it's supposedly an underground punk film, but I, it miserably fails a Google test. So what's the Google test? You look something up in Google, and if you can't find it, then it probably doesn't exist. It's... This is not a foolproof test, but it's pretty good, right? There are still a few things on the planet that are not in Google, um, but it's, it's pretty good. Um, and so it fails the Google test. You know, it doesn't have any, any listing. So a couple of people say delete, delete. Uh, and then somebody says, hey, wait, 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 wait. I found something. It's in the film threat video guide to 20 underground films you must see. So maybe it has some notability. Next person down says, uh, clean it up. Somebody says, keep it. It's a real movie. It's an IMDb. Keep, keep. So at the end of a discussion like this, uh, this would have been kept. In fact, it was kept and the, the article's still there. But the interesting thing about this process is that although people are voting delete and keep, right, this is just a wiki page like any other. This is just freeform text. You can go and click on edit at the top of the page. You can change this. You can add a comment, whatever. There's no actual automation of the voting process. And this is one that's always popular with programmers who say, ah, this is a lot of work. Why don't we just put a little button on the page, nominate for delete. After two weeks, we tally the votes and it'll automatically gone. That's not a good idea because just voting is something that we don't do very much. We really discourage voting. This is a human dialogue. This is a conversation about whether or not this should exist or not. And in fact, in theory, this could be 28 votes to delete and three votes to keep. And as long as the, the, the deletes are all like delete non-notable, delete non-notable with no information or argument, these three at the bottom who say, wait, I found it in a book. Maybe people didn't realize this. Um, I know something about it. It's actually an IMDb. That would make a big difference. The other thing that can make a big difference here is who the voters are. 
We're, we're a community where we generally know each other. We recognize names. We can see people. I can say, okay, look, Rick K says keep it. I trust Rick K. If Rick K says it's in IMDb, it's in IMDb. I don't have to question that. Whereas some of these other people, I, I just say, well, I don't know who they are, really. Uh, they're newcomers. Um, and so certain people in the community do carry more weight than others. So the most important thing, though, about this is that all of the rules are social. The software itself does not determine the rules of Wikipedia. Almost everything is completely open-ended in terms of what the software does. There's very, very little in the software that is actually um, rule enforcement. It's all about dialogue. It's all about conversation. It's all about humans making decisions. So that's really, really important. So what comes next? What am I working on next is what I'm actually going to tell you about. Uh, and what I'm working on these days is Wikia. Wikia is a new company. Uh, and basically what we're doing at Wikia is we're bringing the community ideals, the community models, um, all of the things that I just talked about in relation to uh, Wikipedia, we're bringing to a broader context. So one of the conceptual ideas is to think about that an encyclopedia is big, right? It's a really big set of books. But a library is much, much bigger. So what we're trying to do is empower people to say, let's think beyond the encyclopedia. Let's think about all of the different kinds of things that people might want to build or do. Um, what, what made me think of this? Why do we want to do this? Well, I have certain beliefs about genuine communities and the future. This is where I want to talk about the future of free culture. Um, one of the things, of course, that's going on in our society is the struggle between, uh, you know, proprietary and free culture. And so you have things like the battles going on about copyright in the movie industry and this and that. One of the things that makes me really proud about Wikipedia is we're starting to change the terms of the copyright debate. We're starting to change the terms and say, look, the copyright debate is not all about kids stealing music. When, when the law gets in the way of Wikipedia's work, it's about good-hearted people sharing their work, trying to do good things. And if we have these really restrictive copyrights, uh, it, it gets in our way. It not only gets in our way, but it isn't necessary. I mean, the, the standard argument for really strong, long copyright terms is you need it in order to economically incentivize people to do good work. Well, Wikipedia proves that isn't true. People do good work because it's the good thing to do. Thank you. So my idea now is, OK, we've got this first big shining example, but let's build this out into a much bigger cultural force. Let's make this. Let's take these ideas of Wikipedia and bring them out to lots and lots of people in lots and lots of areas far beyond just encyclopedias. I think that genuine communities like Wikipedia will be built on love and respect. I get a lot of talks at tech conferences, and I always like to say I'm the only guy who's going to get up at a text conference and talk about love. Right. <laughs> But it's really important because of all the things I've been saying, Wikipedia is not about the technology. It's about people. It's about leaving things open ended. It's about trusting people. It's like encouraging people to do good. That these communities, I believe, are going to be the norm on the Internet. I think people have seen that some of the old models are really unhealthy. They really don't work. And I think that Wikipedia shows us a really powerful means to move forward, to empower lots of people to do good work cooperatively. That people, when they're empowered by the software and they're set free, both by the license, but also by the, the terms of the site and the way that it works so that they're free within communities to decide their own rules and think about this, they can do great things. And so we're really looking at what are all the kinds of great things that people can do. So a lot of people say, well, an encyclopedia covers everything. So what else do you really need? And so I wanted to give some of the examples of the things that we're seeing so far. Uh, this is the, the Lost Wiki. Um, do, do people here watch the show Lost? Lots of people, a few people. Um, you should watch it. It's really great, but it's really, really, really complicated. 
and there's lots and lots and lots of characters, and it's really hard to figure out. And the cool thing is, the Lost Wiki, the fans of the show are coming in and they're documenting all of this complicated information. So you can go in here and you can read about this. This is far beyond what you would want in an encyclopedia, for one thing. Second, it's not necessarily neutral. The people who are writing the site are fans of the show, so they don't need to be neutral. They don't need to include criticisms and controversies about whatever. They may choose to, but they don't have to. It can be a very favorable review because it's written by fans who really love it. These are the kinds of things that people can do and build. Uh, in the old days, when if you think back on the old GeoCities days, and, and lots of people were building fan pages and things like this, but what would happen? People build a fan page, and after a while they get bored of it. It's, it's really not that fun to do all by yourself. The idea here is people can take whatever passion or hobby or interest they have, and they can build something. They're going to give it away in their free license, and they're going to come together with love and respect and build all kinds of cool things um, on any kind of topic. So we have like, some of the most successful things we have so far, of course, geek culture. Um, so uh, things like Star Trek, Star Wars, this is the Doom Wiki. Um, uh, you can see the, the, this little picture here on the search box. The guy looks a little angry. I don't know if they really know about the wiki love idea here. Um, but they seem like nice people. Uh, and then, so there is one that does cover wiki love. This is the, uh, the personals, uh, personals.wikia.com. Uh, one of the cool things about, about my job is that if you found an encyclopedia, you somehow get this reputation of a guy who knows about everything. Right. So tonight I'm going to be on uh, free FM. I'm going to be talking about um, personal ads and dating on the Internet. Why me? I don't know. But I'm going to talk about it uh, and I'm going to talk about the personals wiki. And the idea here is uh, there are all kinds of personal sites. And how do they work? Well, they work. You think about those software principles I talked about earlier. They think of all of the bad things people might do. And then the software doesn't let them do that. Whereas the idea here is let's be free flowing and let's let this community think about it and work about it and negotiate and figure out how would you properly do it as a community? What are all the kinds of things you really might want to do? And the software is really open ended so people can form whatever they like. So I think it's really uh, has great potential anyway. We'll see what happens. Um, and so this then brings me to my final point, which is my, my basic philosophy is for us all to make wiki love, not war. Thank you. So I guess now we're going to have questions. Yes, please. Okay, good. Um. Is it Ileana Street? Waving a hand back there. Um, very short question. Very readable in the dark. Thank you. How do you make money? Oh, well, Wikia is uh, one way. Wikia is uh, the model for Wikia is uh, we're a for-profit company uh, supported by advertising. Uh, Wikipedia works really well as a nonprofit because people are very passionately um, enthusiastic about this idea of a free encyclopedia for every single person on the planet. So even our servers are managed by volunteers. There are people who stay up. Uh, I know one of our uh, admins stayed up uh, 26 hours um, as a volunteer when one of the database servers went down, stayed up fixing it. Well, we don't expect that uh, people are going to do that for things like the personal site or for the lost wiki or things like that. It doesn't quite have that. Instead, what we want to do is provide the, the infrastructure uh, through the for-profit um, and through the advertising revenue. Uh, one of the things that I, I just recently joined the board of Creative Commons, and one of the things that Creative Commons thinks about a lot is, okay, we all believe in, in free culture, right? We all think that sounds like a great thing. Let's be non-proprietary. Let's share. How can we make this work, right? How, how do we make this work? So with free software, this was, this was the question for many years. Well, where's the business model? Where's the business model? Well, now finally we begin to know the business model. There are several. You know, there's Red Hat. 
there are also incentives for companies like IBM to contribute. They have incentives for whatever reasons, for consulting, for hardware sales, things like that. So we know that free software is sustainable, but what about free culture? So one of the things that I'm really interested in doing is helping people think about um, how do we make money? How do you make a living? I mean, it's great to say, yes, let's love the world, but we have to think of ways to make it sustainable um, and ethical and non-proprietary. So that's, that's what I'm doing these days. Uh, I have a question. I read online that you were um, influenced early on by Ayn Rand, uh, who, you know, based everything on selfishness and always peed on any kind of altruism. What do you think she would make of all this? And are you consistent with your early enthusiasm or have things changed? Um, I'm not sure what she would think of all this. That's a very difficult question. Mm-hmm. Uh, my views haven't really particularly changed. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that. Um, a lot about her views are, are widely misunderstood if you approach it in a very simple way. Um, if you remember one of her, uh, one of her great characters that everyone remembers was Howard Rourke. He's the architect. And he, he was offered, uh, the opportunity to design buildings for a lot of money, but he had to compromise his artistic principles and he refused and he went to work in a quarry instead. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that passionate self-interest has only to do with thinking about how to make money is really not correct. For me, rational, passionate self-interest has to do with having a vision, sticking to it. And so for me, I'm just doing something that I believe in. And if I make money, that's great. If I don't, hey, whatever, at least I did something I believed in. So I know at the first line of your biography, somebody's biography of you will read, it'll say, Jimmy Wales laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Howard Rourke laughed as the beginning of the Fountainhead. Yeah, I was, it was either that or Petrograd smelt of carbolic acid, which is from one of our other books. It doesn't quite have the same flair, but. Walter Cox has a question. Where are you? Right in here. What keeps a political entity like the People's Republic of China from corrupting an article like Tiananmen Square Massacre? It seems to work now, but for how much longer? You know, besides specifically on that, this raises the question that Burning Man and everybody keeps running into. You know, what will time do to this beautiful vision and what will how can mm-hmm. it possibly scale? Doesn't it get dirty when it gets to a certain size? Right. Yeah. So those are those are similar questions, but slightly different. So um, the question is, what about an, an organized group um, coming in and trying to do something in Wikipedia? Um, well, w- the first answer is that the community that we've built is uh, pretty strong. Right. And the way things work, it would be pretty easy for us to say, you know, you can't just come in and replace it with a one sided rant or whatever. That will, that's going to work really well. And in fact, one of the things that I would say is that if the Chinese government would like to come and contribute to Wikipedia, they're free to enter the dialogue like anybody else. But they're not going to be treated in any special way. So they may not be able to get as far as they would like. Um, the uh, I didn't go into all of the details of how the community is organized, but I can tell you like one one story. There was a case where a neo-Nazi website uh, on the Internet with message boards, they discovered Wikipedia and they said, oh, this is this whole thing is terrible. It's a big Jewish conspiracy. Uh, they had pictures and they were measuring my nose to see if I, you know, it was really crazy. Um, and so. Uh, they said, well, they, they discovered the votes for deletion page, which is what we used to call it. Uh, now we call it articles for deletion for very complicated reasons I can't explain. Um, but they said, oh, there's the votes for deletion page. We're going to go in and we're going to delete. We're going to take over Wikipedia. We're going to delete all the articles we don't like. So they went in. They, they went in. And they said, well, we're going to nominate this and we're going to vote it to delete. They said there's 40,000 members of this website. We can easily overtake them. Right. So they all came over, um, all 18 of them. Right. That's Nazi math. Uh, 40,018. Um, 
So all 18 of them came over and voted. So that particular vote ended up being like 85 to 18, and they didn't succeed. But people in the community said, well, what will we do? We do have this open process. Um, and I said, well, this is, this is still my role in the community. We have consensus. We have democracy. We have this and that. But we still have a little bit of constitutional monarchy. And so I said, you know, my role in the community is to defend the community. And so one of the things we would say is, well, if a bunch of Nazis come and try to take over the site, I'll just ban them. That's easy. Um, and do our current existing rules allow us to do that? Well, no, other than the rule that says comma unless Jumbo whatever, you know. Um, and the um, but the key there is that it, that requires a certain amount of trust and it requires me to not do that, basically. And I never do that. You know, go in and ban a whole large group of people would be one of the most shocking events that ever happened in Wikipedia. But I think it's been important that we keep that kind of thing so that we can experiment. We freely experiment with our institutional structures and we don't have to be paranoid. It goes back to the restaurant analogy. We don't have to say if we're designing a voting procedure, we don't have to think of all the worst case scenarios and design for people stabbing each other. We can assume the best and we can also know that eh, if it doesn't seem to be working out, the core community can just say, yeah, we'll do something else. So that's that's one answer. The other answer. Well, let me stick with that one for a minute because okay. the, the emperor issue is, a, is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. I've run into it with uh, the best magazines are often run by, as they say, a mad monk at the middle. Somebody who's, you know, that's all they do. <clears throat> and they're, uh, they're very good at it. That, in a sense, you're infallible as pope of this thing. <laughs> um, that always raises a question. It, it sounds like the way you're describing it is you're an emperor who is uh, ultra-powerful but not always right. And so Definitely the question is, how, right. how, you, how, is the social, how is the social apparatus able to help you realize when you're wrong and let you undo something that you did, even though you're emperor? Um, well, the core community really runs things on a day-to-day basis. And so um, while they would respect a decision to ban a bunch of Nazis, if I started banning a bunch of Republicans, they would mm-hmm. freak out, right? Um, and it would be a huge global news story, and I'd be on CNN, and they'd be yelling at me again. And, um, but it, this is one of the concerns we've had, and actually one of the, this is part of the whole process. In the very early days, um, we really did have a benevolent dictator model, and we had it for the same reason that a lot of free software projects have it, mm-hmm. is that when you're trying to get things done, uh, rough consensus running code, you don't want to get bogged down in formal decision-making processes, and so what do you do? You just say, well, you know, Linus Torvalds gets to decide at the end of the day, and mm-hmm. that works reasonably well, but I, I feel that's a very deeply inappropriate for all human knowledge. That's mm-hmm. something that I don't like to be, in, I don't like to do. And so over time, as the community has grown, we've been growing institutional structures within the community so that less and less has to do with me. So, for example, in the old days, I used to do all the banning um, to actually, you know, if somebody's really misbehaving, they can be blocked or banned from Wikipedia. I did all of that. It started getting too much for me, but also we realized that it isn't really appropriate for one person to have that much power. Mm-hmm. So now we have the arbitration committee, and this is elected um, from the community, mm-hmm. um, and it, it works really well. The, the arbitration committee is a very thoughtful group of people. They have very strong uh, support from the community. Um, one example, um, uh, Mind Spillage, was elected with like 95-plus um, uh, yes votes to no votes. So we sort of 
maybe Cuba-style elections, but um, but they're actually genuine. That that this is the process, and that people really do support because they, they pick you know the the kindest, most thoughtful people in the community who are really good at mediating conflict and trying to find uh, some middle ground. And those people do a good job of very carefully considering things. And you know, there's always problems, but the goal over time is for for me to move from benevolent dictator to being like a constitutional monarch, right? Um, I, I gave a talk where I went into this in Germany, and then the, uh, the next day in the newspaper it said, uh, I am the Queen of England. Right? <laughs> it's not exactly what I said. Something was lost in translation. But um, the idea is I should have certain theoretical power for a while now, but it should be decreasing over time. And that ultimately that power should go away and be nothing more than symbolic. So are you working on your regal wave? Exactly. I just want to go around and wave and give speeches. So I interrupted you when you're talking about scaling. The other part of the question was scaling. What how do you as the community gets larger and larger? um, How do you how do you deal with the with the issue of scale? and there's a few problems. And in fact, so something we talk about, we had a long conversation about it at, at dinner last night. So I, I told you the story of, of articles for deletion. And I said, well, 26 people could say one thing and three could say the other. And if three had better arguments, they would prevail. Well, that's actually not true. Um, it's mostly true. But recently, uh, articles for deletion has been very problematic because there's so many people there that it's become very difficult to identify the three people you trust, the three best arguments. And so that's a scale issue. Yeah. And, and it, it works when there's smaller groups of people uh, because you can trust and you can you can negotiate, you can compromise, you can come to a consensus with a really large group. It's a lot harder. So one of the ideas that was proposed last night, which I've been thinking about all night, um, is to, for example, uh, take that portion of the community where things have started to scale too big and break it down into smaller groups and to basically say, uh, you know, within the individual area of expertise. So if the article is about a bridge then the, the wiki project for bridges should be the ones deciding the deletion because that's a small group of people. Again, now you're back to not just one person, but 20 or so people who could get in there and actually negotiate and compromise and actually think about it in a better way. So just, that's some of the things that we're looking at, but we're very aware of this issue of as the community gets larger and larger, how do you keep parts of it from becoming unhealthy? And moving that thing to sort of the subgroup, does that happen in some way automatically or is there somebody handling traffic? Um, it's It's... Nothing happens automatically. Right. So everything in Wikipedia, the way things change over time um, is uh, a very long and slow process of negotiation and compromise, uh, making an example, hmm. uh, showing people that it will work, persuading people one at a time. This is also one of the big misconceptions about Wikipedia. I mean, it's a wiki, right? Anybody can go and change anything anytime. And so the idea that people... Um, have in, in the press and things like that is that it's complete chaos all the time and everything's going to change randomly from one day to the next. But in fact, inside the community, we're very, very conservative and very old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Um, things change at a snail's pace. Things that work, we're very, we love them and we keep doing them until um, we've completely smashed our head against the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we start to slowly change things in a different way. So um, it's a long, very fluid process. Well, that's the example of the American Revolution. They, they were very radical and they were very conservative the way they did it, mm-hmm. unlike the French Revolution, which was radical and radical the way they did it, and they wound up killing each other. Right. So be conservative. Yes. Question <laughs> from, uh, looks like, uh, Ann Schumann. Ann Schumann? Somebody? Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, how do you distinguish the experts, experts from the amateurs and... <clears throat> 
I think this anticipates your answer. What is the future of the experts? <laughs> well, uh, so a, a big part of the, the idea, how do you separate the experts from the amateurs, that ends up being a really just a human judgment. I mean, one of the things that we don't do is check people's credentials and, and all that. What I always like to describe it as, it's rather than having a gatekeeper model, we have an accountability model. So we don't put up gates and say, well, first you've got to show us your PhD card before you can edit. Instead, what we say is everything you do in the community is easily with one click. You can see all of your contributions and people can see what you're doing. So you're accountable for what you've done. Um, and so how do you judge who's an expert or who isn't? Well, it's the same way you judge it anywhere. It's a long process of getting to know someone and see if they know what they're talking about. If somebody posts a bunch of crap every single day, it quickly is out and people will say, this guy posts crap every day. Um, and somebody who does good work gets recognized for that. In terms of what's the future of the expert, um, you know, I think one of the interesting things about Wikipedia is how much of a meritocracy it ends up being. That if people are um, willing to cite their sources, they're willing to be very careful in their argumentation, they're willing to write neutrally and calmly, um, their writing survives. If they come in and post wild speculation and they can't prove it or it's just some random rumor, uh, it doesn't survive. Um, and that's truly what we want out of our experts anyway. Um. There's a question dear to our hearts having to do with digital preservation. Uh, how is Wikipedia being preserved and, or archived? And by the way, will it be around in 10,000 years? <laughs> the 10,000 year question. Um, that was from uh, Cameron Asadi. Sorry, or in back. Okay. Um, so uh, the, the very first basic simple question is um, uh, we do backups, actually. Um, we actually back up from the main cluster in Florida to our cluster in Amsterdam. Um, that's done periodically. We do periodic database dumps, which lots and lots of people reuse and download. Um, the, the only bit that we, that we really have to be very careful about is the, uh, the user database, the usernames and passwords, because those are not distributed publicly. All the content is distributed publicly. Um, so we have to be extra careful to make sure we're always backing up that, because if, if we lost the text of Wikipedia, there are thousands of people who have a fairly recent copy. So we could, we could upload and lose a week's work or something like that. Um, will Wikipedia be around in 10,000 years? So obviously the idea of, an, of the organization lasting that long um, is a little far-fetched and hard to imagine. It's kind of hard to design an organization that would last that long. In terms of the decision-making that I do um, and that we on the board do um, at the foundation, we really think very carefully about survival. Um, we're very conservative. Uh, we don't borrow money, for example. We're, we're strictly on an all-cash basis. Um, we, we think very carefully about, um, as we do different things, we think about well, what is this going to do to our monthly revenue requirements, and is that always something that's very comfortable so that we're survivable. We don't want to take any risks. Um, another example uh, along those lines of a decision we've made, um, uh, print-on-demand publisher came to us and said they had this really cool software that you could, uh, we would be able to construct lists of articles in print. You could just click a button and you would get a book in the mail of Wikipedia articles. Well, this is, sounds great. I mean, technologically it sounds great, but there's a big difference, uh, legal difference between being online and being in print. Um, online, if you've, got, if you've got libel or a copyright violation, somebody complains, there's provisions in the law, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, you take it down and you're pretty well protected. Um, you have certain responsibilities. As soon as you print it, right, uh, it's a whole other world. I mean, it's, there's a big legal risk there. So this error that we had uh, back in December 
Well, when the fellow notified us that we said he had something to do with the Kennedy assassination, boom, it was gone. It was deleted in five seconds. Um, and that was, that's actually what makes it possible. If we were legally responsible for everything everyone writes on the website, um, well, the whole of the Internet couldn't exist. I mean, it's impossible for anyone to provide an open space for a public discussion if you're responsible for everything everyone says. Um, I see what you mean about your changing the discourse on, uh, on copyright in the course of yeah, the Yeah, but, but when, you, when you go to print, though, if we did that, we would get sued and we would lose. And so um, we can't do that until we really think about how do we mature our community processes so that we can identify enough materials that we can say this is safe enough to go to print. It's, it's been through a process that's industry standard or better. So. Well, here's a middle ground question from Anonymous. If you're Anonymous, wave your hand. <laughs> Uh, my friends in Africa don't have good, good Internet access yet. Will there be a DVD box set of Wikipedia and when? Yes, um, we already have. There's a German company which produces a German DVD. Um, they take the legal risk um, in that particular case. Um, and we there are a lot of projects to to create uh, DVDs. We actually have. Um, still online, we're still not comfortable distributing it offline ourselves, but online we have uh, uh, database dumps that you can burn, um, that you can download, fully runnable. Um, this is an area that we're very keenly interested in going forward. I mean, the, the community, we really take seriously, and it inspires a lot of us in the community, that our work is not just for people with broadband Internet connections. And we really want our work to be useful and have an impact um, in places where people don't even have good drinking water. That's one of the reasons that we insist on everything being freely licensed, because um, we want to make sure that anybody out there who has an entrepreneurial idea, a small-scale entrepreneur, can go out and actually say, hey, I see an opportunity here to print uh, encyclopedias for kids in India, right? And I can make a buck doing it. And that sounds great to me. I would love that. I mean, you, can't, you can hardly think of a, of a better way to make a living, right, than providing low-cost books to children. Um, and the, the, if, we had, if we allowed things in the site that were for non-commercial use only, it would prevent that. And so that's one of the interesting things. People always say, oh, I'd love to donate a bunch of stuff to you, but I don't want people making money off of it. And this is my answer. Well, is it that you don't want people making money off of it, or is it that you don't want people making your work proprietary? And then usually people see the light and see what I'm talking about. Well, that relates to, uh, I suppose, Nicholas Negroponte's $100 computer notion, some of which some people don't like it, some do. Uh, which camp are you in? I hope he builds it. It sounds cool. I yeah. need one. This one costs way too much, you know. <laughs> um, He's got a MacBook duo here. Yes, yes, the I'm new envious. one. Yes. So, by, by the um, way, Negroponte goes around saying he wants to get the $100 computer out so everybody in the world can get Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. And I'm glad he says that um, because I, I agree with him that, that in many ways uh, Wikipedia is the killer app for that kind of device. Because if you think about a $100 computer that's going to come with uh, you know, some basic software, what are people really going to use it for? Well, it has wireless so they can start using it for communication. But one of the really cool things is instant access to the world of human knowledge through very low-cost means. I'm very excited about it. and uh, you know, I have no idea. I'm not at all an engineer. So is he tilting at windmills? I don't know. But it seems promising anyway. <laughs> Question from Allison Fish right down here. If your editors all know each other, how do you keep a check on the sometimes polluting power of groupthink? Yes. Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, as it turns out, as we get bigger and bigger, unfortunately, they don't all know each other, but there is a very strong, tight-knit community. Um, and that is, in fact, a danger. It's one of the things that we really try to be aware of. And a lot of our social rules have to do with that. 
There are a lot of things that we do. Uh, this, is, this particularly comes into play when you're thinking about the administrators. Administrators are elected from within the community, um, and they have certain um, powers, but they're, they're more like uh, police than, than fiefdoms, right? So, they, yes, they can block you from editing, just as, yes, the police can arrest you, but police are very constrained. They're only supposed to arrest you in certain circumstances. They can't just go randomly go around arresting people. Um, administrators, for example, are... are not supposed to use their admin powers in anything that they're actively involved in editing. So if you've been editing an article, you get into a quarrel with someone and you just say, well, then I'm going to block you. That's deeply inappropriate and, and you can be, you know, desisopt for that. Um, but it is something that we're very aware of and we always try to say one of the most important values that we have as a community that I think is really important for us to keep is the idea of always being welcome to newcomers and always be welcome to, to outside ideas and perspectives. But of course, as in any group of Say more beings, about that. How do you actually do that? Because I've seen a lot of things, including things I've run, mm-hmm. like the whole earth mm-hmm. became a small community and we started shutting out new people and we died. How do you welcome new people? Um, well, a, a lot of it's really just very practical stuff. If you start editing Wikipedia, um, someone, you know, make make uh, 20 or 30 edits, hopefully sooner than that. Somebody will show up on your talk page and say, hey, welcome to Wikipedia. Here's some links. Um, hopefully when it's done well, when people have enough time, they'll actually have looked at your work and they'll say, I noticed you editing the train area. Have you seen the Wiki Project trains, right? Um, and, and they'll actually greet you in a, in a personal way. And there's people who love doing that, and it's a really important part of the community. Um, as long as we keep those kinds of habits, um, I think that's, that's part of it. I mean, that's, that's actually a great example of, um, you know, it's one of my ongoing themes is um, battling against programmers, right? Programmers say, well, gee, we, you know, it's a lot of work. You have to go and find people who've edited ten times and post this stuff on their page, and we could automate it. On your tenth edit, you automatically get a welcome message, right? <laughs> it's so much easier, right? But it's, there's no human there, right? It's, right. You know, so, uh, so we don't do that, right? We, we just say we don't algorithmatize things that don't need to be. But, yeah, no, I, and at a certain level, I think there is no magic answer to this problem. It's a problem that all human organizations face. Um, you know, how do you really make sure that you've got somebody with an outside quirky point of view that you're actually trying really hard to accommodate them as best you can and you really try to work with them um, to say, okay, well, let's, you know, we, we don't agree with what you're doing or trying to say, but we're going to try. Like, wh- where can we compromise? Where can we come in and say, um, you know, what can we use out of what you're doing? Um, and you may not get everything you want, keep in mind, right? As long as we keep that up, we're doing okay, but there's no magic guarantee. I mean, it's, it's eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. So. Well, the, and this is a corporate culture issue in a way, uh, to constantly welcome people or not. And do you make that explicit, or is it something that's just constantly done by example and therefore everybody knows that's the way to do it? It's a bit of both. It's, mm-hmm. it's a bit of both. It's, it's very actively written about and talked about as a, as a core value. Don't bite the newbies. Um, is one of our policies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a question from Scott, which apparently we're getting lots of versions of this question. Where's Scott? In back. Uh, what is the size of Wikipedia's infrastructure, the physical systems? And by the way, what's your power bill? Uh, um, the the size is about, you know, yay big. It's no, I'm just kidding. Um, we have right now around. Uh, we just got 40 new servers, so I think that we've just passed 200 servers in service worldwide. Um, the bulk of those are in Florida where we have um, 
I was just there the other day and I counted the racks, but I've forgotten. I think we have seven full racks, if that means anything to you. In Florida, we have servers in Amsterdam. We have servers in Paris, but just a few. And we have uh, some servers that Yahoo provided for us uh, very nicely in South Korea. So um, that's what we have. Um. Pat Hunt with a question. I have an addictive personality. Where are you, Pat? We all want to see you. Uh-huh. Is involvement in Wikipedia editing dangerous to me? Yes. <laughs> yes. Although, I mean, I, I'm, I always say I'm, I'm really um, an Internet addict, but at least I've turned my addiction for the good of the world somehow. Um, yeah, I mean, people do get really into editing Wikipedia, and um, that can be a good thing. In fact, a lot, of, a lot of really great work is done by people who are some kind of borderline um, obsessive compulsives, right? Um, now, you, you joke, but it's, it's actually true that there are people who really like organizing things, right? And they come and they organize, organize, night after night after night. Um, and... They, they can become very obsessive, and, and that's fine. It can be a fine outlet if you, you know, if it's something is itching you and you want to scratch it and keep doing it. That's fine. Um, the the problem can be is if you get stressed out, right? And and so people sometimes get very stressed out by Wikipedia. A lot of people who are um, who who have those kind of personalities, they do really great work, but they're they can be quite brittle. Meaning, if anything doesn't go right, they get really upset, and it's very difficult for them. And so that's unfortunate. But um, you know, it's it's. Um, other than carpal tunnel or something like that, it's not inherently uh, unhealthy. Well, we all remember that one of the founders, creators of the Oxford English Dictionary was a, uh, he was in an insane asylum. Yes, yes. With right. lots of time on his hands. Um, a pair of related questions, one from Henrik, back over there, and one from Rolf, somewhere over here. Uh, Henrik asks, did banning anonymous users from starting an article uh, do any good? And Rolf asks, I noticed that the authors of an article are not easily visible. Can you explain why these authors aren't more interested in getting credit? Okay. So what he's referring to is um, a a very minor policy change got a lot of news because it happened coincidentally around the time of the Sigenthaler incident. Um, And what we did was, if you're an anonymous IP number, meaning that you haven't logged in, you're unable to create a new article. You can still edit just about any other than the main page and a few articles. Um, it's possible to go to Wikipedia. You don't even log in. You just click edit and you save. It goes live on the site immediately, and it shows up as an IP number. But you can no longer create new articles. Uh, did it do any good? I don't think so. It didn't seem to help, and so we're probably going to change it um, again very soon. What we really are trying to do there, um, we, we get... Uh, I don't know the exact numbers recently, but we get about 5,000 new pages created a day, of which only 1,500 survive. Um, the other 3,500 are people experimenting or they're deliberate vandalism, but that's not as common as just people are trying the system mm-hmm. out and they create a page by accident. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people create a page that's a duplicate of another page and it needs to be merged. Uh, it just has a slightly different title, things like that. A lot of that kind of stuff goes on, um, but it's a huge fire hose of stuff coming at people every day, 5,000 articles that have to be dealt with. And the idea was, let's just slow it down a little bit. It turned out what happened was um, it slowed it down a little bit, but what it really did was on that page, you were forced to create an account. So then people just started creating thousands of accounts for people who never became members of the community. So it didn't really do the right thing. What we really want instead is a better way for flagging newbiness of edits. So we want to be able to not prevent newcomers from doing things, but we just want the community to be able to see them. Um, in the smaller wikis, that's pretty easy. If, if you're working in 
um, you know, a smaller language where everybody still kind of knows each other. You can just look at the, the recent changes and you can see after a couple of weeks of experience, yeah, now this person, this, who's this? Is it somebody new? I'm going to go check out what they're doing. Now in English, there's so many people editing that it's, uh, even for somebody who's deeply immersed in the community, there's lots of experienced Wikipedians who you just happen to have not come across yet. Hmm. So it gets, a, it's a little harder to judge when you see an edit. Is this done by a known and trusted Wikipedian, or is this somebody who's totally new to the community who may not understand our values yet? So and that's the direction we're going to move is basically better tools for identifying that this person is kind of new. Um, we want to make sure we do that in a way that's friendly and supportive, not mm-hmm. the same problem we were talking about earlier of is this the first step in excluding outsiders by marking them with a little flag or something. Well, this relates to the question of credit because in a way us customers mm-hmm. go on there and you know, when I read things in the newspaper online, I look at the byline, mm-hmm. and it often influences my, you know, whether I'll keep reading in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have bylines in the articles, and but yet within the the regular uh, user group, uh, as you were saying, some people have their opinions have more value than others because mm-hmm. they've earned that. Right. Um, well, what do you think about this in terms of uh, public visibility of, right. of people? So if you go to any article and you click on the history tab, you mm-hmm. can see all of the edits. Uh, you can see all of the authors. Uh, one of the things I think we'll probably want to do, um, and this is actually um, one of the things with um, uh, we're, we're very excited about. In the nonprofit, we rely all on volunteer programmers, right? And so a lot of features of usability that we've wanted for a long time, we just didn't have. Mm-hmm. So now I'm hiring, right? So if you want to be involved in this, uh, at Wikia, if you're, if you're a good PHP programmer, uh, web experience, things like that, we're, we're basically going to try to add a lot of features to the software. Um, we're, we're hiring a team out here in the Bay Area mm. to add features. So one of the features that we want to add is when you click on an article right now, you can see the entire history, but you can't see who wrote what. It's kind of hard. And you also can't see who wrote the largest amount of the article, who's the most active user. Some of the articles have 10,000 edits, mm-hmm. and you can only see the last hundred, right? You can keep paging through them, but to really figure out who wrote it and who's responsible for it, we want to be able to sum that up. And, I mean, somebody showed me a demo of this, but and I was very excited. I'm like, yeah, we'll run this. And he said, well, it's actually just a... Mock up. So I said, <laughs> great so, idea, but we need a, somebody to actually code it. So, um, if there's anybody in the audience here who wants to be one of those coders, who do they get in touch with? Um, you can email me and okay. I'll put you in touch with the right person. Right. So, um, so for, for, for this kind of thing, um, uh, what we want to do is, is think about what are the kinds of tools that, that will enable us, particularly as we grow, to, to in, in line with our philosophy, in line with the principles that we have, to say, okay, well, one of the things that makes Wikipedia work is that people know each other. But what are the areas in the software where it makes it hard to know who did what, right? And so to say, okay, well, one of the things when I go as an editor and I, cl- I say, this is a great article, who's responsible for this? I want to be able to click and see, oh, 78% of this was written by so-and-so. So I can say, that this is a good editor. Mm-hmm. I can even go thank them and say, that was a great article. Mm-hmm. Um, why do people not want credit right on the article page, right? Mm-hmm. That was a part of that question. And um, I think thinking about those kinds of motivations or what people care about is um, lots of different people have lots of different reasons. Uh, some people probably do want that kind of credit, but they don't get it. So either they don't work in Wikipedia or they just uh, come to live with it. But I think the, the main reason is the general public who's coming to Wikipedia, we don't know who they are or do we, you know, we don't necessarily even care so much. Um, what does matter to people is, is recognition by their peers. Um, and so if I write an article and it's really good, right, and I'm really proud of it, and 
some very prominent, well-known Wikipedian like Mindspillage, who won the election with 95%, if she comes by and says, hey, great article, I'm like, this is great, you know. I, I, this is somebody I really respect, and, and so she cared about it, and so that was really good. So I think people care more about recognition um, in that sense rather than that some million people I don't even know happen to see my name on a page and they'll never remember it. How does that recognition get around? Is that through the IRC net approach? A lot of it's through the IRC. A lot of it's just through the active editors. I mean, if you're really active in editing, uh, people tend to cluster in areas of interest. So um, if, you're, if you're part of the, the bridge wiki project and so you're working on articles about every suspension bridge um, in the world, um, other people who are interested in bridges will get to know you and they'll see your work and they'll say, this is really great work, and they'll appreciate that. And so that's, it's, it's because uh, I think the idea is there's the large community, right, but then there's a large number of sub-communities, and as long as those sub-communities are all healthy, then, then that's, that's where it comes from. Way to go. Uh, I'm going to finish up with two questions here. One from Jed Harris, who's out there somewhere. Um, aside from encyclopedia vendors, printed encyclopedia vendors, who are your real enemies? <laughs> oh, enemies. Um. I mean, Ayn Rand Oz wrote great enemies with great names. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, it's hard for me to think that way, and that's part of the reason why I am who I am, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not that smart, really, but I'm really friendly. So, Are there are there institutional uh, enemies out there, things that are sort of standing in the way of the Wikipediaization of everything? Um, yeah, I mean, there are there are certain things like, um, you know, I think that um, uh, I'm very concerned about software patents. Right. Mm -hmm. But as far as I'm able to tell, patent policy is mostly driven by the pharmaceutical companies. Right. Mm -hmm. And they've got their whole set of interests, which I have no knowledge about. I have no really strong opinions about. But when when they're lobbyists are influencing patent policy and it spills over into the software world in ways that are, um, I mean, whatever you may think about the fundamental issue of, of software patents, uh, certainly uh, you can say there's better and worse ways and deciding what we need to do about software patents should probably be decided in the software world, not having to do with the needs of pharmaceutical research, right? So those are things where you get really irritated at certain institutional structures. Um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of... Um, uh, uh, things that sort of annoy me are um, uh, things like the uh, uh, proprietary scientific journals. So I'm a big advocate of the open access movement and uh, Public Library of Science, for example, and they're doing these, uh, you know, peer-reviewed, very traditional peer-reviewed scientific journals, but they're putting them under Creative Commons licenses and so that people can distribute it. And they're working on finding different business models. Uh, the traditional business model of scientific publication is a pretty good one, right, if you can get the work, because yeah. you don't pay the scientists anything, and you sell the journals for a lot of money, right? This is a great business, right? Um, it isn't necessarily healthy for science. It yeah. isn't necessarily healthy for the developing world, for, the, for humankind in general. Um, but it's a, it's a model that used to work. It used to be the model that made sense. Uh, it made sense because we thought, well, gee, distributing all this stuff is very expensive. Well, now we know distribution's free, you know? So there's no inherent reason why uh, if someone in, in a university in India that's not well-funded wants to read some scientific paper, well, I mean, just download it off the Internet. I mean, it's really cheap to provide it. It's just we have these institutional structures that don't want that to happen for very dinosaurish reasons, right? So those kinds of things sort of irritate me, but I think that 
that's just a matter of time. As people mm -hmm. discover the new ways, then I think all that's going to change. There's someone here from the Public Library of Science tonight, I believe. Is that right? Barbara's here. There she is. How do you do? Um, last question from Gary Wolf. Gary, where are you? There he is. Um, I'm impressed that this has been a wonderful, a wonderful, thank you, talk about design in one of the squishiest areas to design in, which is social stuff and community stuff. So Gary's question is a good one to end on. What are the unsolved problems of Wikipedia? Right. Um, I think the, the really unsolved problems are the ones that are facing the English language Wikipedia in terms of scaling the community. Um, there are a lot of areas where in these really large communities, um, and, and there's English is the largest by far, uh, the English Wikipedia community, um, where we're bumping up against interesting kinds of barriers, um, like, for example, you know, in my talk I have this happy story about article search deletion, when in practice we know it isn't working as well as it used to, that lots of times what happens is um, people don't know each other there, and they're really voting, and outsiders come in because of uh, somebody sent around 100 emails, mm -hmm. and they all rushed in to vote, and people don't quite know what to do about it. Those kinds of areas are the real challenge, whereas if you look even at, um, you know, the German Wikipedia, which is... Um, the second largest, but it's still, in terms of the size of the community, it's where English was a year ago, right? And so we've got another year of experience of getting through those growth hurdles. And then the really small ones, I mean, this is where I, I love working with the, the small Wikipedias because, uh, I, you know, I was just in, in Taiwan, like I said, and I met with the, the Wikipedians there, and they're at about 65,000 articles, and they're communities of a certain size, and they're facing, you know, they have these difficult problems, but I know how to solve those because I've helped several of the groups come through this process. So I always worry about what's next, right? And English, the English Wikipedia always pushes those boundaries first. So um, I think it's dealing with the scale. That's really the unsolved problems is, is going forward. We've managed so far, and I hope we continue to, but it's, you know, it's a big deal to think about. Uh, let me finish with <clears throat> this audience is probably interested to hear about your other audiences. When we were driving over, you told me that you had just talked to 1,200 people in Taiwan mm -hmm. and also had a high old time talking to students at a university in Florida. Mm -hmm. You want to say something about what you got from those audiences? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it was really interesting. Um, when I was in Taiwan, I, um, uh, I was recognized on the train, for example, right? Uh, and uh, that was kind of cool. Um, and uh, I, it's actually funny because the, the Wikipedia viewership, per capita viewership, is about 50% higher in Germany than in the U.S., right? So, uh, and I'm in the media all the time in Germany. And so I always say I'm like David Hasselhoff. I'm <laughs> really big in Germany. But um, the, um, uh what, what I really get, uh, and then, and then I was, in, in Florida, it was like these are, these are all the college kids. Everybody's using Wikipedia. They're all really excited um, about the possibilities of free culture. Um, these are people who, who have now at this point, uh, you know, they're, they're beginning to be the people who've really grown up with the Internet, right? And uh, whereas for us, it sounds really, um, 
you know, uh, bizarre in certain abstract ways that the record companies are all wound up about file sharing. To them, that seems really, really weird, right? Because it's always been that way, right? <laughs> and they're just like, what are these people talking about? I mean, they're really, um, and so, but they are, they're very interested in, in the, these questions and, and also interested in the idea that um, a lot of this stuff, it's not about kids stealing music. It's really about creative people. It's about the producers, not the consumers. And um, so that's some of the things I get out of it. Um, I, the thing that I really get out of my travels, I travel all over the world, is really uh, one of the things that I always enjoy is sitting down with a, a group of Wikipedians and talking about Wikipedia mm. and realizing that, you know, the Hungarians, when I was in Hungary, they just had their first real incident where they had to ban someone, uh-huh. right? They're at about, at that time, they were around 15,000 articles. Normally between 10,000 and 20,000 articles is where the, com- the community has their first really hard ban. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, for the community, if somebody just comes in and starts vandalizing and causing trouble, that doesn't cause the community any problem. You just block them and who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem users, the ones who are really hard, are the ones who, they do good work, mm-hmm. right? They're kind of okay, but they're really jerks, mm-hmm. right? And... What do you do? They've got their fans. They've got their enemies. They're starting to and some people are very manipulative. And so they're turning factions and the communities have to get through that hurdle and say, what are we going to do here? And they eventually they have to say, you know, we're sorry, but we appreciate your work, but you can't keep behaving this way. And we're, we're going to ask you to leave the community. Um, and that's a very emotional process for people because it's the first time because in the early days, it's all very idyllic. Uh, you know, you get a whole bunch of good people together. You've got eight or ten people all working every day and you get to know each other. Maybe you have a few quarrels, but it's all OK. So this happens again and again everywhere I go. You know, it's the same stories. And there's something to me that's really wonderful to know about that, that as much as there are cultural differences, there's also, you know, humans are humans and we have the same kinds of uh, problems and joys and loves and all that everywhere. So here, here. Thank you very much for Wikipedia and for the talk. This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Stuart Brand.